putting in the time to create visuals is really going to pay off for you as the adult. It's really taking a load off of your executive function, loaning their, your brain to them by putting it out concretely, physically, in a visual. It's worth the time it takes to, to make a picture schedule. Welcome to the Raising Young Children in Wake County podcast, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist, currently a child psychologist, and a former parent of a child in Project's demonstration preschool. I also recently served as the board chair and am currently still serving on the Project Enlightenment Foundation as a board member. The goal of this podcast is to expand services to the young children in Wake County through parent education. In this 10-episode podcast series, we will include interviews with experts in early childhood education, psychology, and pediatrics to discuss topics including the importance of play, managing toddler behavior, language and motor development, kindergarten readiness, how to set up routines, and parent mental wellness. Today, we are talking about using routines and visuals for your child with Kristen Bauhoff, who is a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I'm going to start with Kristen's bio to let you know a little bit about her. Kristen Bauhoff is a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor and the mom of three elementary and middle school preteens, which includes a set of boy-girl twins. A native of Louisiana, Kristen graduated from North Carolina State University in computer science and worked as a software developer at IBM and bandwidth through public wireless until her oldest child was in preschool. It was at that point that she stepped away from her original career to instead focus on supporting her three children and their neurodivergent development. That's when she enthusiastically learned everything she could to appreciate autism, ADHD, anxiety, and giftedness to help on her journey of parenting twice exceptional children. Along the way, she completed the pathway to certification with Dr. Becky Bailey to become a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor, and now she is a parent educator supporting young families in the triangle, especially those with autistic or neurodivergent children like hers. Kristen is also a retired camp counselor, as am I, Yes. and she loves to come up with fun ways to teach adults the skills to respond to children in more helpful ways so that each child can reach their amazing potential. I'm really excited about this interview. Me too. Okay, let's get going. So let's first talk about why routines are so important for our brains. Yes, our brains love routines. It's helpful to think about our brains as pattern-seeking machines. They love to identify patterns, use those patterns to predict what's coming next, and then repeat those patterns over and over. Mm -hmm. This is true for all of us. Yep. This is especially true for our younger ones. If you think about how they want to read that same book over and over and sing the same song and play the same peekaboo game. And for some kids like mine, it even goes down to the level of I need to sit in the same chair at dinner. I need the mm -hmm. same blue cup, the same purple bowl. And I really like it when mom drives to preschool the same route mm. every morning. Yep. So I learned early on that my kids thrive on predictability and routine. They did really well when they knew what to expect. And I learned this the hard way when I would come in with my camp counselor fun, spontaneous <laughs> ideas. If I changed the plan and they didn't know what to expect, that didn't go well. 
we did really well in my house with predictable routines because routines make it easier for your brain because the more you do something, the stronger you wire those neural pathways in your brain. When you repeat it over and over, you learn it so well, you can almost go on autopilot. That's the brilliance about routines. It lets children learn what they need to do, and then it's easier. If you do it the same way every day, it's so much easier. So our children, they want independence. They want to contribute to the family. They want to be of service. One of the best things we can do for our family is provide predictable routines so that they can gain independence. Because routines and predictability, they soothe the brain, they Mm -hmm. make it feel safe, and they build independence. Right. I hear this a lot from parents in my practice who say, well, my child is, you know, fine at school. They follow all those routines and they're, they're kind of a mess at home. And I always say classrooms are incredibly predictable and there are visuals everywhere. Everyone's doing the same thing. So there are peer models everywhere. And that teacher does the same thing every day. They just switch out the curriculum and the things that they're teaching and the things that the kids are learning. But the structure and the systems in a classroom are very predictable. So if you have a child that does well at school and doesn't do as well at home, first look at your routines and the predictability of those things. And then we also have to remember that we get our kids at the most tired times of day um, where they don't have gas in the tank to be flexible or do those things. So it's even more important for predictability to happen at home. So let's talk a little bit about that anxiety and Mm -hmm. those brain states and why we can't communicate during those overwhelms. We've, We've talked in this podcast series at multiple times about, you know, going into the stress part of our brain and how we lose the ability to communicate. But what is that like for our kids and how do routines and visuals help with that? That's a great question. So our brain is really good at answering three questions. It wants to know, am I safe? Am I loved? And what can I learn? And it has to answer those three questions in that order. This is the order of priority. First, I need to keep myself safe. Mm -hmm. Then I want to feel loved. And then I can be curious and learn. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not feeling safe, my whole brain is focused on keeping me safe. And what I have access to is I can fight. I can flight, I can run, I can freeze, or I can surrender. I cannot process words because that's not what I need to do to keep myself alive right now. Right. So until I feel safe, until I feel loved, it's really not an effective way to communicate with me with words. So if you think about when you give your kids verbal commands, there is so much your brain has to process to make sense of that. It has to process the words And say that you give a sequence of commands. It has to prioritize them, initiate a task, put them in sequence, keep them all in working memory to remember what I'm doing. All of that is in the most advanced part of the brain, the executive state. And it is not fully developed until we are 25 years old. So those are skills that we hopefully have online when we are calm and regulated But that's a lot of steps to ask for a very young child to be able to do. So that's why it's so important to provide visuals. Children under the age of seven think in pictures. They think in like the physical objects of the world and then images and pictures in their mind. And their 
able to process even less if they're more overwhelmed. So the more overwhelmed they are, the more we need to rely on concrete visuals. So if they are dysregulated, we don't want to talk. Right. We want to breathe and we want to provide visuals. And that's usually the opposite of what we're used to doing. We're used to, let me talk you through this feeling. Let me, you know, start providing solutions, options of negotiation, things that we're trying to basically put Band-Aids on these big, open, gaping, emotional wounds, and it doesn't work. And so if you feel like your words aren't working, there's a reason for that, and we need fewer words and more co-regulation. What are some signs, I'm thinking of, what are some signs real quick of what your child might be doing if you are trying to talk to them and and you're probably feeling like, I'm not good enough, this isn't working, but how would you help a parent know, okay, I need to stop talking? So I like to approach a situation with first my intention is I want to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I need to be calm to be helpful, so I want to take a deep breath. And I'm either going to help them co-regulate or we're going to co-escalate. <laughs> so if I'm talking too much, right, and I'm aware that they give me feedback that says, this is not what I need right now, we can co-escalate together and really lose control. Mm -hmm. I want to be attuned to all the communication coming from them and help them calm down. We're going to practice how to calm down in moments when they're when they are regulated, and then in the moment, I want to be a steady source of calm. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to drop my agenda. I just want to help them calm. And one point I want to make right now, when you say drop your agenda, this circles back to what you said at the beginning about driving the same way or doing things the same way, like the same cup in the same bowl. I get this concern a lot from parents that say, well, isn't that giving in? Isn't that giving in and letting my child control all the things? So the way, I'll tell you what I think about this, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, but there's a certain level of anxiety that a child feels where it's not time to work on that flexibility. It, their anxiety is so high, they're going into fight or flight when you drive a different way, or they're falling into the floor and the entire dinner and bedtime routine is off if they use a different bowl. That's not the time in their development to work on that skill. That's how I think about it. So if they can start to tolerate a little bit of change, a little bit of flexibility, then they're ready to work on that skill. But it's not giving in. It's actually helping them get what they need, knowing that you're not going to be doing that forever, which is what we all worry about. Like, I can't give my child the same bowl because they're going to be a 25-year-old that demands right. the same bowl everywhere they go. We have to remember that that's very likely not the case. <laughs> I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think that children communicate to us when they are having a feeling of anxiety, and they do that through control. They need control. They're feeling anxious. What helps them is to have control over the little things, which to them are really big things. So I feel in control if I have the red cup. That helps me focus on other things. Mm -hmm. If I can feel that control, it gives me a little sense of safety. Then I'm able to maybe try a new food. So you have to pick where you want growth and stretch. Mm -hmm. 
and allow for control in other ways. And then, like you said, work on flexibility when they're ready to stretch in new ways and, and, and intentionally work on flexibility. Right. And so if, if you're listening and you're a parent thinking, but I just am really scared of not working on the cup situation, <laughs> think about and maybe go back to episode three where we talk about parent mental wellness and how your child's behavior is triggering patterns and memories that you had from how you were parented and maybe your parent was had a lot of rules around dinner time or whatever the situation is that your child is getting upset about. And that will impact the way that you respond in times of stress. And so it's all a dynamic situation we need to keep learning about and how we get triggered and how we respond to. And I can also add in some hopefulness here yeah. because we're not still using the red cup in the purple bowl. <laughs> in your family? In our family. Yeah. We did have a chapter of life where it was the red cup in the purple bowl. Yeah. Then we moved on to the plates had to be sectioned. So we had the recyclable plastic sectioned plates. Then we advanced to real plates that were sectioned. Now we're on unsectioned real plates. Progress. Progress. There's hope. Progress. Okay, so at what point did you realize that you needed to use more than just your words? I know that you are you're so good at this and you're so creative with visuals and that's why I wanted to talk with you today. But at what point in your parenting journey did you think okay, I got to do something different? I'm so glad you asked me this question on the Project Enlightenment podcast yeah. because it was through a parenting class at Project Enlightenment that I learned the incredible, magical power of using routine visual schedules. When my kids were younger, I went to every parenting class offered at Project Enlightenment, and I'm so grateful for everything that I learned there. And one of the first things I learned and implemented was using visuals. In Conscious Discipline, we call this mapping it out. So MAP is an acronym. M-A-P stands for I'm going to model, then I'm going to add pictures, and then we're going to practice. So an example of what this looked like in my house. When my kids were seven, four, and four, there were shoes all over the floor. Or even worse, sometimes it was time to go and we couldn't find shoes anywhere. So there was definitely chaos around shoes. And what I realized was that we needed to add structure. There was a place in the coat closet for shoes, but I hadn't taught my kids the skill of putting away their shoes. So I mapped it out. These are mats that are a really concrete visual indication to the kids that very clearly says, this is where your shoes go. So there is a picture of their shoes. They traced around their shoes and they decorated it and their names are on it. It's personalized. They like looking at these. And we practiced. I put this on the floor of the coat closet, and it's there's a spot for each child's shoes. And then we would practice. You take off your shoes. You put them right here on the shoe prints on the mat. This is your set. This is a set for you. This is a set for the third kiddo. And we practiced this over and over. When everyone's calm. When everyone's calm. When you're not in a rush in and out of the door. When we know where the shoes are. Where you can find the shoes and <laughs> yes. no one's in a panic. <laughs> yes. Right. So we practiced putting away shoes over and over and over. 
supported with visual information that says this is where your shoes go. Mm-hmm. Finally, it got to the point where there weren't shoes all over the floor. And now we can almost always find our shoes in the morning. Fantastic. So anytime I hear a parent that I talk with, you know, say we could, you know, we can never find anything or we're always in a rush. The first thing I talk about is, does everyone know what to do? And does everyone have the materials that they need to do the things that they do? There's systems we can put in place that match our kids' developmental skills and executive functioning skills and motor skills that help the morning go smoother instead of reacting to all the emotions that happen when everyone's frustrated because we can't find things or or we have forgotten to do something. And I think I really saw the magic of having predictable routines and visuals when I could have a babysitter come into my house with three young complex kiddos. Mm-hmm. This was after a while, after we had really well-established routines and visuals for dinner and bedtime. A babysitter could come in and take my place and guide my kids through dinner and bedtime because we had predictable routines and visuals. I also want to say that was a really talented babysitter. She's a special ed teacher in Wake County Preschool. (laughs) But she even told me later how much easier it was to come in where there were routines Mm -hmm. supported by visuals. Everybody knows what to do, and that makes it a lot easier. I always tell parents the goal of your morning routine and your bedtime routine is that you can change out the adult Yes. You can switch places with your spouse or your parenting partner. You can put a babysitter in the mix. You can put a grandparent in the mix and it still runs like a system. And think about a classroom. You just change out that teacher. If the teacher's sick, those kids still know what to do. Um, They always usually, you know, test the sub a little bit, but they know what to do. They don't, you know, forget what to do when the teacher's not there. So That is the ultimate goal is to realize, oh, we can take a break and have a babysitter and trust that everything's going to be okay. If you're feeling like I can't leave because things will fall apart, you don't have enough systems in place. And there's more we can do to increase independence and routine to get kids more having agency over their routine. Let's talk a little bit more about routines and visuals, which we know is going to be a challenge because this is a podcast. And no one can see us. (laughs) And no one can see us. But we're going to do our best to describe a lot of examples. Yes. So walk me through the main types of visuals. We'll start there and take me through what kind of challenge they would solve. So your kids are going to tell you where you need more structure and visuals. You always want to start where there is chaos. And we like to, we're going to do this, even though no one can see us. Everybody hold your hands up and shake your hands and say, where there is chaos, and then draw a little box, we add structure. Let's do it it. again. Where there is chaos, draw a little box, add structure. So the shoes were an example. There was chaos, Mm -hmm. we added structure. So in your house, I like to think of providing visuals for three main intentions, Visuals can be a sequence of tasks. Visuals can be a steady source of information. And then visuals can provide encouragement. So we'll go through some examples of each one of those. So first of all, a sequence of tasks. This is where you want to start because this is where there is most chaos. We started with bedtime routine. And if you think about everything that needs to happen between dinner and bedtime, That is a lot of steps. And everyone is tired. And everyone is tired. (laughs) So 
the more you can support making your way through all those steps, the better. So you want to think about the steps and break them down into a way that you can visually represent maybe four things to start. So we started with a visual that was in a pocket chart, and it had that we're going to use the bathroom, take a bath, put on PJs, brush teeth, and then talk and snuggle and read books and do I love you ritual connections. We started breaking it down into individual tasks so that everybody could keep track of where they were and make it through, know what to expect, and make it through our bedtime routine. And also not have to remember what is done next. Because it's visual, if you have a child that's attention span is incredibly short, which all preschoolers' attention spans are short, but you may have a child who really is struggling to make it from point A to point B because they see a toy along the way. You can then redirect them to their list or their chart or their visual, and you're not, you know, nagging and getting on them, so to speak. So it helps your relationship because you're just helping with independence instead of creating frustration between the two of you. Right. And the visual does the job of telling them what to do. Right. Which so you don't lets have to. you focus on the relationship. So next we created uh, visual task schedules for our morning routines. Our bedtime routine was one for the whole family where they had pictures of them individually that they could move through the sequence, kind of like a board game, which mm-hmm. was fun. For our morning routines, everyone had their own copy. And everyone had a way to manipulate each task. So I had a pocket chart where it would say, you know, uh, eat breakfast. When my child was done eating breakfast, they would take the chart out, turn it around. There's a check marks on the back. My brain gets a hit of dopamine. Mm -hmm. I did it. Yeah. And then I keep going. So it's got potty, eat breakfast, get dressed, put on shoes and socks. And for early... Literacy, if your child is starting to recognize letters, you can pair words on these visuals. But it could be a drawn picture. It could be an actual photograph of your toilet, of your kitchen table, your trash can, whatever the things are. Or if you have an early reader and they're going to attend very well to letters, you can go ahead and put the word on as well, right? So tailor that to your child's interest. And level of development. So you could even start with actual objects as your schedule. The very youngest, we'd start with actual objects, like here's a cup, here's a toothbrush, here's a shoe. That's your picture schedule. Mm -hmm. Then you move on to photographs, like you said. As they become available, as they develop more, it can get more abstract. Mm -hmm. It can be hand-drawn or clip art, and then you can also add words. So another another type of routine that we use visuals for at my house was for how to unpack after school. So this is a sequence of tasks that is chaotic. Mm-hmm. So provided structure that looked like a laundry basket for the backpacks, a bin for the water bottles, a bin for the folders, a bin for lunch boxes. Each one of those had a picture of what goes in the bin. This was a really clear, structured way for how do I unpack after school? This is a sequence of tasks that I need to do every day, and it's helpful to know where everything goes, everything has a place, and it helped everything go a lot better. Another place you can use visuals is for packing for a trip. So I would draw out a picture of a dress, a picture of shorts, a picture of shoes, a picture of eyeglasses for my daughter, and 
give her a checklist with pictures of each of these things that she needed to pack for a trip. And then that empowered her to be able to be feel really independent at a brand new task that she's never done before. Because mm-hmm. packing for a trip involves a lot of executive function about planning mm-hmm. and predicting what's going to happen. She loved being able to pack her own suitcase when she was five years old to get ready to go for a trip and to check off everything that Mm -hmm. she had packed and know that she was making progress and then she was done. Yeah. And one thing I'll add is if you have extended family in town, um, for instance, this is something we always did in my family. My son would have sleepovers with my, my mom and it was just like one night of clothes and toothbrush, toothpaste glasses, you know, and so it was a very simple list, but he did it on a routine, like once a month, always on a Friday night, you know, it was a routine. And so he learned how to check the weather. He learned how to figure out what he needed because it was just one of everything. So there's ways to, you know, practice, simplify the task if you're going on a family trip by just, like you said, having a list of the things your child needs to go from dresser to suitcase. Yeah. But then you can also expand it if it's just one night and they can you can expand those skills to, OK, we need to check the weather just this one night that you can make it more complicated either by the length of time that you're going on the trip or, you know, by making it more steps for them to practice. I love that he checks yeah. the weather. Yep. And uses that to plan his clothes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great life skill. We came up with a very specific number that if it is under 60 degrees, there need to be long sleeves. So, um, you know, there are things, whatever speaks to your kid, you know, it was hard for one of my sons to predict this, like, well, what if it's humid? What if it's raining? So we just came up with a number. (laughs) So we, you know, we asked the Amazon Alexa what the weather was, and then it was an easy answer. Okay. It's under 60. I'm wearing long sleeves. There was a little bit of chaos and you added structure. I did. Beautiful. Another place we like to use visuals in my family is to plan out which parts of the museum we're going to see on the day that we have a visit to a museum. And we'll plan this out before we go. We'll make a plan for everyone can chime in for which parts of the museum they want to visit that day. And then we'll have a picture schedule of each part of the museum that we're going to visit. That helps us stay organized throughout our day and transition from each part of the museum. It also helps us at the end of the day when she didn't get to go to one part of the museum that she really loves because we couldn't fit it in that day. She's known all day long that that picture was not in her schedule. And so hopefully it makes it a little easier at the end of the day to leave the museum without going to this one part that she didn't get to see. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, too, of of something we do in our family, which is there's always a letdown after a trip. Yeah. Of Oh, this trip is over. It was so fun. We always start talking about the next trip, even though it doesn't exist yet. We just start brainstorming and it distracts a little bit from the letdown of this fun time is over. We're going back to school and work. I mean, I don't think any of us like to come back that (laughs) feeling. I'm like, that's for all of us. We don't like that feeling of coming back from the beach or the mountains, especially if it's just like a quick weekend. And so we can start talking with our kids about what did you like about this trip? What did you miss? What do you want to do next time? And that can be a daily outing or a family trip. I want to say one more thing about sequence Mm -hmm. visuals. And that is that you want the number of tasks in the list to be age appropriate. So at this point, 
I can give my kids a list of 10 tasks they need to accomplish with a visual checklist. Now that they're older. Now that they're older. When we started, it was four and then five and then six. Mm -hmm. So you want to also tailor it to what they're capable of. And I would say think about your child's attention span. Um, if they have a very short attention span, the list needs to be shorter. Yes. Okay. So the next type of visuals we want to talk about are visuals that provide a steady source of information. So we talked earlier about kind of that anxious feeling needing control. Mm -hmm. The feeling in our bodies of anxious is a message to us that says, I need information. So anxious says, I need information. And this comes into play a lot in homes with families where you need information. And one place where I saw it pop up unexpectedly was over what was for dinner. What was family mm -hmm. dinner that night? Because my daughter would come to the dinner table, see what was for dinner. And even if it was something that she loved, the unexpected surprise of what is for dinner tonight was really hard for her. And so what I realized was that I could provide a steady source of information with a weekly dinner menu on the fridge. So once we posted a weekly family dinner menu on the fridge, she could look at it as often as she needed to. And then that would give her the information to reduce anxiety about what is for dinner tonight. And I just want to point out, every time she looked at that, that was a question you did not have to answer. Yes. Which lowers parent anxiety. Yes. We like to say that visuals never get tired of telling kids what to do. <laughs> I love that. They never get tired of telling kids what to do. But They're parents always do. <laughs> there to tell kids what they need. Yeah. So our, our next steady source of information in my house was uh, we made a ways to be helpful wall. So this is a picture representation of how can I contribute to the family? Mm -hmm. It's a really abstract idea to be helpful. So we came up with specific concrete tasks and I took pictures of each of my three kids doing each task. And then we put them up in the wall, on the wall, uh, in the stairs between, in the landing where every time they go down the stairs, they see the ways to be helpful wall. Every time they go up the stairs, they see the ways to be helpful wall. That is information for them over and over of here's how I can contribute to the family. So it has things like hang your coat, close the car door, wipe up spills, walk on the wood floors instead of run. Because you want to put things, you want to tell them what to, to do. do rather than what not to do. Um, help put away clean dishes, put dirty laundry in the basket. These were all things that were not happening in my house. So once we practiced them and added visuals, it was a really good way to communicate to everyone, here's how you can help. Here's how you can be of service to the family. Right. And what I keep hearing you say over and over is practicing this when everyone is calm yes. rather than trying to teach it in reaction to a moment of frustration because we can't learn when we're frustrated. Right. Yeah. And the visuals need to be taught. You need to practice and teach them how to use these visual tools. Mm -hmm. So another one we had was communicating expectations for, say, like the dining room. Like we sit in the chair. I took a picture of each kiddo sitting in the chair. When you're done, carry your plate to the kitchen. Took a picture of each kiddo doing that. And we put it up in the wall in the dining room so they could see these are our family agreements for how we do dinner. Similar to that, you can take a picture of what their room looks like when it's clean. Mm -hmm. And you have a picture of that in their room. And so then it's really clearly 
explaining the expectations of what does it mean to clean my room? Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to match my room to, to what it looks picture. like in the picture. I call this what does done look like? Yes. It's true of older kids with executive functioning weaknesses, but most preschoolers don't have a whole lot of executive functioning. So we have to show them what done looks like. Like when all the toys are in the bin, this is what I mean when I say clean up the playroom. This is what done looks like. Yes. And the very next visual I'm going to make in my house is this is what it looks like to hang your towel in the bathroom (laughs) because that is not currently happening on a regular basis. They are telling me they need visual support to show them what that looks like. So you can also have in your family uh, a calendar of events. Mm -hmm. That's a steady source of information. That's a helpful visual that we all rely on. And then my kids love to count down to a big event. Mm -hmm. They love to count down to grandparents are coming to visit or how many days until my birthday. It's it's a great reminder of this really abstract concept of time. You can see time each day when you take a number off. You can see it getting closer and closer, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. So our third type of visuals are visuals that help to encourage. So I want to talk about how sometimes our brains get stuck. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful as the parent to provide a visual to help our kids get unstuck. One place that this comes into play is with transitions. It's really hard to transition. Everybody relates to young kids Mm -hmm. how hard it is to stop doing something and start doing something else. Especially if you're stopping something fun and doing something annoying or boring, like bathing or brushing your teeth or eating vegetables. Yes. Or something hard for you, like putting on your shoes. Yes. And you're so focused on what you are doing. And it's so much work to, if you imagine that you've, you're focused on what you're doing and it's almost like you've built roots into what you're doing and you have to do all the work of taking the roots out and then focusing on what what did she ask me to do and change mm-hmm. my focus and then start this new task. Mm-hmm. So that's another place where visuals and uh, picture schedules are really helpful. And then another one you can use like a first then model to show like first we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And that just helps encourage them to get unstuck. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this and then we're going to do that. That can be really helpful. And it's really helpful to, again, teach these as a system when kids are calm not teaching them when you need them to get unstuck and they've never seen the visual before. They need to know the plan of what you're talking about and what you're showing them when you're in the moment. So one that we used over and over was in the last year of preschool when my daughter had a really hard time going into the school building. And she liked school. The transition itself from the car into the building was the hard part. And so what I did was I gave her a visual to encourage her to get unstuck. And what that was was a scavenger hunt that said, here, find these things. This is a fun thing for your brain to do to check off a bush, a rock, uh, a window. That gets me close to the building. A door. So she would go through this visual scavenger hunt, check everything off. And by the end of it, she was at the door and her teacher would greet her and she could easily go into the schoolroom. It made it so much easier to transition into the schoolroom. And what you did there is you distracted her brain from her anxiety with a job. And she felt effective and like she was moving forward in her checklist. And it sounds like on multiple occasions, checklists have worked for her. And so you thought, thought about what worked and thought probably 
how do how can I incorporate this to this current chaos of getting into the school building and help help her brain find some order in that? And you want your visuals to support them on their hardest days. There are times where they are not going to need so many visuals, where they can go through the routine without using the visuals. The visual is there for the days where they don't have access to all of their Mm -hmm. typical brilliance. So those are the days where they're tired or something has happened or I'm hungry. You want your visuals to be able to support them in the toughest moments. It's great if they're easy to manipulate, if the kiddos can actually do something to the visual, if it's Velcro and I get to move something from to do to done, or if I get to flip something over and there's a check. If you can manipulate it somehow, that encourages them to engage with it. Mm -hmm. And then it's especially wonderful if you can tie it to their interests. So we make new schedules for um, bedtime routines and morning routines every time we have a new favorite interest, a new favorite if it's Minecraft or if it's uh, Pokemon, that helps them engage with the schedules. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is my favorite topic. Let's talk about social stories. I, of course, write social stories a lot in my clinical work with young children with an autism diagnosis. And sometimes with kids with ADHD and anxiety diagnoses because it's hard to focus on what it's what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't focus because I'm nervous. I don't know what to expect. So social stories really help us bridge the visuals with the emotional, kind of all the things we've talked about so far, but putting them into a story that is about the child. So let's talk a little bit about social stories and how um, you've used them to be effective. So we love social stories to make it really concrete how to engage with others Mm -hmm. because that's a pretty abstract invisible thing of how Mm -hmm. we are expected to engage with others and social stories break it down step by step and they're a story about me Mm -hmm. which feels really cool it has my pictures in it it has things I care about and it tells me step by step what to do so for anybody who's wondering what is a social story and where do I go research this if I want to know so social stories were first um, coined by Carol Gray who did research in literacy and connection with kids um, on the autism spectrum. And they are written in first person about the child and they're used to walk the child through a process that they're needing to learn in a very engaging way that gets their attention and helps them connect the dots of what's needed as opposed to just telling a child what they need to do. So for an example, my younger son was having a hard time in first grade when it was time for the whole class to go sit on the carpet and learn. He was having a hard time keeping his hands to himself and keeping his voice turned off. I worked with his teacher and he and I came up with a list of things. What does it mean to help keep it safe on the carpet? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And I went into the classroom and took pictures of him being successful with all of those expectations. So there's a picture of him with his hands in his lap. There's a picture of him pointing to his mouth that's closed. There's a picture of him keeping an arm's length of space away from the next student. And he wrote the words. We got one of those little, um, in the dollar section of Target where they have those empty books. Mm -hmm. 
I put the pictures into the book. He wrote the words for everything that you do to keep it safe while you're sitting at the carpet in first grade. And we went through it over and over. Repetition is really helpful for this. We went through this book over and over where he would read. You know, there were several different ways that he could sit. He had options for how to sit, but it helped reinforce my job on the carpet is to sit. Mm -hmm. My job on the carpet is to be quiet so that everyone can learn. And we read it over and over. And he got to see pictures of himself being successful doing all those things. And so that eventually translated into more success in the classroom. And what this does, in addition to just telling a child what to do, is many children, many young children, and, and many children with an autism diagnosis struggle to visualize what we say when we describe something. So the social story is about them and shows them literally what to do. That's why the visual is so powerful. So they can spend time processing that and visualizing the expectation rather than just hearing words coming from an adult that might not, they might not be visually processing what those words mean. Mm -hmm. So this social story is is wonderful because it's about them and it's engaging, but it also, you can, like you said, repeat it as many times as they need to help them process and visualize what the expectation is. So you're awesome at this. I'm a child (laughs) psychologist, but parents are not teachers. Um, I think we can both agree that even though we know a lot of these things, um, it doesn't mean that we are able to implement them consistently because we have emotions. We get overwhelmed as parents too. Um, and anyone listening to this might be thinking, this all sounds super crafty. <laughs> and what, super if, crafty. what if I'm not crafty? So um, what are some helpful tips for parents who might be intimidated by some of these ideas you're sharing? That's a great question because I love making visuals. I know. You're not intimidated at all. <laughs> but I know I there are some crafts. parents because I've made them social stories. I've made them crafty things in my in my office. But what are some simple ways? Let's just share some of those for parents. Yeah, so I am a visual thinker, visual learner, So, and I've seen lots of examples. I do want to say that there is this wonderful resource center at Project Enlightenment where you can go and see examples and you can make visuals. But even before you get to that point, these can be really, really simple. You can draw a picture on a piece of paper and put a little box and teach your kiddo how to check it off, and you have made a visual. You have provided a tool that they can use to help them be successful. You can get pocket charts from the dollar store. Um, You can use a dry erase board. You can use, you can get fancy with Velcro and task wallets and all sorts of fun things, but it really can be really simple. There, I always carry around a way for me to provide a visual in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I have post-it notes and pencils. And when I realize my kids are stuck and they need some more information or a way to help them get unstuck, I can make a visual right there in the moment and it will provide information and help them be successful. So there's not a, a, a really big learning curve for making visuals. Start with what makes sense to you and your kiddo, and then they will communicate to you with what they need. And you can go from there. I forgot to mention when we were talking about social stories that you can make physical books um, with pictures and, and writing sentences, but there are also a few really simple apps that you can just drop pictures in and write one sentence. And then kids can just swipe through the pages of that book over and over. I've used that method to have on the go on an iPad when traveling to help 
um, my own son understand, you know, all the different steps of flying on a plane. And we were able to take that with us and, and drop pictures in there of, you know, the places we were going and what the plane looked like and all those things for when, when it was the first time that he flew. And so that's a, another way you can use their interest in technology, but it's through pictures and literacy that they're swiping through and, and processing those things over and over. And if they're asking to see it and asking to look at their book, you know it's working. Right. Once you get them engaged, it's working. Yep. And, and it sounds like a lot of work, but putting in the time to create visuals is really going to pay off for you as the adult. It's really taking a load off of your executive function, loaning their your brain to them by putting it out concretely, physically, in a visual, it's worth the time it takes to, to make a picture schedule. Definitely. So what else would you like to share with us? What have I not asked? <laughs> so visuals are a tool, and all, everything that we've talked about definitely helps your child to gain independence and feel empowered and to feel safer. But I also want to acknowledge uh, really clearly up front that they don't guarantee that your child is going to actually do all the steps on the picture schedule. Just because you put all the steps on the picture schedule, it communicates the expectation. It doesn't necessarily build willingness and they're going to just magically suddenly do all five steps of bedtime routine. Right. Willingness comes from being connected. So the picture schedule helps to answer the question, am I safe? It helps, it helps me feel safe because I know what's expected. But then my relationship with my adult and feeling connected with my adult is what helps me have willingness to actually go through all of the steps. Mm -hmm. And so it's also, you can think about similar to routines and visuals, your rituals that you develop within your family are really, really important. Rituals for connection, such as the I love you rituals from Conscious Discipline. Will you give us an example of one of those? Oh, for, sure. For anybody who's not familiar. <laughs> sure. So the I love you rituals are intended to provide connection, one-on-one -on -one connection between a child and an adult. And connection involves, involves four elements, and that is eye contact, if it's comfortable, touch, being really present, and a playful way. So I'm with you. I'm thinking about you. I'm looking at you. We're engaged together. We're going to do something fun that's going to involve some touch. So it's different. You can create these on your own. In fact, my we have developed a lot of our own I love you rituals that involve those four steps that are around things that my kids really care about. My son and I have a, a Minecraft I love you ritual that involves touch and playfulness and eye contact. And he's more engaged with me and even willing to make eye contact because it's about Minecraft and he cares about that so much. Mm -hmm. So another example would be um, like the Twinkle Twinkle Little Star where we've, we've taken the words and added hand motions one-on-one -on -one where you and I would put our hands together and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, what a wonderful child you are with bright eyes and nice round cheeks, a talented person from your head to your feet. And we do this routine over and over. So the child knows what to expect. They know how to connect with me. It's fun and it's predictable. And it builds these tiny little moments of m magical connection. 
Yeah. We're all really good at connecting with babies and like getting in babies' faces and using our parentese voice of they're so cute, you they're know. So but once kids get, you know, to age two and they're kind of talking and toddling everywhere, we tend to not do that as much and they still need that face-to-face engagement and connection. And the last thing I would also add is, you know, connection is really important. And then the visuals will help you show the expectation. But if you're still struggling, think about your child's skill level. It could be that you're really connected and you're showing the expectation, but is there a skill weakness in there somewhere with attention or fine motor or emotional regulation skill that your child is maybe not ready to independently do that thing yet? And then talk with your pediatrician or talk, you know, in any other providers you have in your life, like a speech language pathologist or an occupational therapist to talk through the, you know, what accurately you should be expecting your child to do. And then Project Enlightenment, of course, has parent consultants who can talk with you for free. And if you have questions about that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kristen. This, I hope, has been incredibly helpful and will give people some ideas of things to Google. You can Google lots of visuals and people share. Pinterest is a place that um, lists a lot of visuals and um, just start creating stuff. Create structure out of chaos. Yes. Where there is chaos, wave your hands. Where there is chaos, draw a box. We add structure. You got it. everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Raising Young Children in Wake County, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation, which you can find at projectenlightenmentfoundation.org. We would love for you to subscribe to this show and share it with your friends and fellow parents. We're all in this together, and we hope we can make a difference in the lives of parents and children. Thanks to KNL Gates, a global law firm with offices in Raleigh and RTP, for their generous contribution to make this podcast happen. Thank you to our sponsors, the Empire Gives Back Foundation and Empire Eats, which includes the downtown Raleigh restaurants, City, Gravy, Raleigh Times, Mecca, and the Pit Authentic Barbecue, bringing great food to the community as well as supporting local causes, especially those that touch the lives of children. Thanks to BHDP, an award-winning international architectural firm, which is recognized for intelligent, innovative, and inspiring design solutions in architecture, planning, and interior design. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we'll see you again soon on Raising Young Children in Wake County.